The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Hello again, everybody. This is Dr. Hal Schurz. This is the Doctor's Lounge. I welcome you in today. The uh, Doctor's Lounge is a uh, uh, show that's brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. And each week, myself or my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, discuss the issues that doctors used to freely talk about in doctors' lounges all across the country. Uh, No longer is that possible because of wokeism, but we are still talking about these things amongst ourselves and thinking about these issues that we bring to you every week. We try to um, bring to light issues that you need to consider, that you need to think about in order for you to be able to make the proper decisions for the health of yourself and for your family. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country, led entirely by practicing doctors. And the Docs for Patient Care Foundation stands for the principles that are important to every American, which is the doctor-patient relationship and healthcare freedom, and we will continue to fight for those ideals every single day that we exist. It's important for your support. We need your support. So go to our website at triple W number D. I'm sorry, D the number four PCFoundation.org. That's D four PCFoundation.org, and please help make sure that we continue to uh, have what. We need the operating capital to continue to succeed in our mission. Um, as you've heard on this show in past weeks, we've um, made mention, pay tribute to our um, recently uh, deceased former executive director, Felicia Horton. And if you have not yet made a contribution to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, this would be the time to do it in her memory. This is one of the two uh, charities that her husband, former uh, naval uh, captain, has asked her friends and supporters to contribute to. Um, So please uh, give generously to um the uh to the Felicia Horton uh memorial fund for doxpatient care and we would uh very much appreciate that i'm going to um uh give everyone a little tickler about the uh upcoming uh direct primary care conference that i mentioned on the last show um, we are closer to signing the paperwork to make that an absolute reality. Um, as m- many of you who listen to this show know, this is a conference that we put on every year. We did so up until the pandemic. Um, so this is our first post-pandemic conference. It is clearly the um, leader in um, direct primary care conferences. Many organizations have tried to emulate what we have put on but have failed. 
Um, and w- this year we have um, a uh, a great meeting set up with um, added um, uh, value added uh, um, items that that I think will be very enticing to people. This year we're going to have surgical specialists involved in our direct primary care meeting who are going to be teaching skills courses at our conference for the primary care doctors to sign up for. And I know so many of you in this listening audience are direct primary care doctors, and so you should circle the date. It Tentatively, 90% is going to be the weekend of November 11th in Dallas, Texas. And there'll be a skills lab where you will have orthopedic surgeon, uh, a plastic surgeon, dermatologist, um, ENT, urology, teaching uh, uh, doctors, primary care doctors, the skills that they are um offering to their patients in their practice but may not be completely comfortable or proficient at and this skills workshop by people who do this every single day will be invaluable to the um, primary care doctors and will make our conference an even better conference than it had been in years past so so stay tuned for further details when we are um, absolutely locked in with our contract we will be publicizing it on the website on social media and elsewhere so what I wanted to talk about today is something that I um, I uh, gave some thought to, and as often is the case when I prepare a show, I start thinking about other things and I go off on tangents. And the bulk of what I wanted to talk about today was whether or not we can trust our medical societies any longer. And in preparing for this show and in going through just the mountains of of um, emails and sites that I get sent or um, subscribed to and seeing a number of articles that have to do with trust, I wanted to talk about a broader issue, not just can we trust the medical societies any longer, and we'll spend a large amount of time on this show today talking about that. But I wanted to talk about a broader issue. I wanted to talk about trust, trust itself. What is trust? Who can we trust? Trust is a a concept. It is a, it is um, when we give our faith, put our faith in what someone or something is telling us. We we decide to, to give our trust because the, uh, the source of information we believe can be trusted. They've earned our trust. 
trust isn't necessarily something that just comes along with a degree or a organization or a society. Trust is earned. It is earned by a track record of performance and by being able to <clears throat> to uh, provide information that proves to be correct, that people believe is trustworthy, and that they can listen to or read about, and they can have faith that what they are reading or hearing is something that they can then um, they can use to make their own decisions and they can um, spread they can they can then um, say to someone else what they've heard with confidence that what they're saying is is going to be a fact and not and not something that is um, perpetrating an agenda. That's what trust is. Trust means that you you put your faith, you put your hopes, you put your health care in the hands of someone or something else, and you are relying on that person or that entity to take care of you or to to um, give you the information so that you can make decisions for yourself. You need to be able to trust sources of medical information. And these days, I'm not so sure that you can. And I'll tell you why I wanted to talk about this today beyond our medical societies. I have been reading on different sites some things that are very troubling about doctors in 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 um, our profession in medicine how they are breaching the public trust and this has happened for years it's there's in in everything in every corner of what we do there's evil there are bad people but when it happens in medicine it's it's even doubly egregious. I was reading about 15 Texas physicians who had to pay $2.8 million to settle kickback allegations against them. And the, the gist of this was that these physicians received money from a management services organization in exchange for ordering laboratories, labs. And there's always two sides to every story. Maybe it wasn't as as they claim that it was. But if it smells bad, there's, there's often a real seedy side to this story. Um... A bigger story that was that's absolutely correct that's not an allegation but is actually something that um, that led to a conviction involved an Atlanta area doctor uh, 
who breached the public trust. He's the owner of a chain of Atlanta-area medical clinics. And he was sentenced to three years in federal prison for a scheme where, which involved, by the way, the former state insurance commissioner in Georgia, who has been indicted. He has not been convicted, but he's been indicted and he's out on bail. But the owner of this clinic ordered doctors that he employed to order unnecessary lab tests for patients. Meanwhile, this doctor, this owner, had a secret arrangement with, once again, a Texas lab company to split the money generated by those tests, sticking patients with unnecessary lab bills for thousands of dollars in addition to defrauding insurance companies. Now, this doctor paid in an, a separate issue to just to show you how crooked he was. He paid $3 million outside of this to settle a federal whistleblower lawsuit alleging a scheme to bilk federal government health care programs, Medicare, for fraudulent billing practices. And the former state insurance commissioner was allegedly the middleman in this scheme. What, what are we even talking about here? Well, we're talking about in patients and every patient over 12 years old who is going to have surgery and in every patient who received any prescription for any drug for any reason they were sent to the lab for toxicology. That means getting a whole broad range of blood work, looking for certain chemicals in the blood, and genetic screens. Can you imagine having to do that for just getting an antibiotic for an ear infection? Well, that's essentially what happened. And that was an incredible breach of the public trust. Now, this is happening, folks. This is happening everywhere, I'm afraid to tell you. It's happening in Atlanta with another medical group in my specialty that we're hoping will um, basically uh, come to the same end as this doctor in ENT did because this is hurting the public. It's hurting the public trust. It's hurting the, the, the specialty that these doctors are involved in. And it's hurting the practice of medicine in general. Because if we cannot trust the doctors who take care of us, then we are in big trouble. You know, trust goes beyond just trusting the individual doctors. It's trusting institutions. I know my co-host, Dr. Scott, loves to tell anecdotes and tell stories about his life. So let me share with you a story in my life that has to do with trust or a lack of it that 
touches everyone that everybody should be concerned about. It's my mom's story. Um, my mother ne- needed to go to the hospital in New York City. And I am not ashamed or I'm not going to hide the the name of the hospital because I think that it was abysmal, the care that she got there. It was Montefiore Hospital in New York, which used to be a, a fantastic hospital, but it has degenerated into nothing more than just a crappy city hospital. And the people who go to these hospitals get crappy care. And my mother was there, and it is a miracle that she survived. They wanted to kill her. And why did they... Why do I say that? Well, she was hospitalized because she had... um, a neurologic event and she had problems with her um, her her what we call electrolytes the the salts in her in her um, uh, blood were very low and that creates problems um, for various organs when that happens and she needed to um, get that replenished and so she was there and um and i was uh, you know 1500 miles away in atlanta my sister was up in new york not able to see her all the time and we were relying on the care of the nursing staff and the doctors in that hospital we were trusting them to take care of her my mother was complaining to me. She said, you know, my arm hurts. Um, and I s- said, well, Mom, maybe it is a, um, it was where your IV was. You should show it to one of the nurses and point it out to them. And she's having memory problems, and I'm not sure she even told the nurses. Now, in retrospect, she may have, and the nursing care was so abysmal there that it was very possible that that uh, nobody even paid attention to her. She's a 90-plus-year-old woman, and nobody really cares about the elderly, especially in city hospitals like, like Montefiore Hospital. But I got up there about a week later, went to see her, and in the meantime, she developed a fever, and I asked the doctor, who's a hospitalist, and... I have my problems with hospitalists. I know that many of you out there listening may be a hospitalist, and and I'm sure that many of you would take some offense at what I'm going to say, but the problem that we're seeing is that there's no ownership anymore in people's care. They are in shifts. They take care of patients. They move on. And there's no captain of the ship anymore for these patients in hospitals and if they're not getting adequate nursing care or they don't have an advocate for them in the hospital they are out of luck now my mother started running a fever and i said to the doctor fortunately the doctors were 
<laughs> kind enough to touch base with me every day and give me an update. And they were telling me about her fever. And I said, that's funny. Where would that have come from? Um, do you think that it might be pneumonia because she has been in bed? Nobody I suspected was getting her up and around and moving her. And the doctor said, oh, that's a good thought. Let me get a chest x-ray. Well, that's not the first thing that I would think of. The first thing that I would think of is to listen to her and to examine her. But they got a chest x-ray. And, of course, in a 90-year-old woman, there were some some abnormalities, and they thought that there might be pneumonia. There may be a lung that was not expanding like it should. And that was what they thought was the source. But they got blood cultures on her, and she had positive blood cultures. She had um, a um, one of those very severe resistant bacteria, the MRSA, the methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, um, in her bloodstream, and they needed to start her on um, broad-spectrum, very strong antibiotics. So when I got up there, I looked at her, and she looked like she was going to die. And I um, took her covers down and I looked at her arm that she had been complaining about and sure enough she had this tremendous infected arm and I said did anybody even examine her did anybody look at her did a nurse look at her did a fellow look at her because they didn't have residents did a fellow look at her did the PA look at her did the attending look at her? Because anybody who would have looked at her would have not thought that the source of this might have been her lungs. They would have been able to look at her arm, see that she had an infected IV site, and manage that appropriately. But no, nobody did that. The trust that we have in these institutions in these hospitals has evaporated, and they use all kinds of excuses. They're over burdened, they're understaffed, they're on shifts and they missed the handoff and they don't know what's going on. But our trust in these institutions is is rapidly being eroded. And I again ask who can we trust? And it's very scary because when it comes to health care, we want to be able to trust anybody that is giving us medical information, and we no longer can do that. The thing that led me to talk about trust today was a byproduct of what happened last week with Roe versus Wade. In the aftermath of the Roe decision, by the Supreme Court, I was inundated with emails that were generated by professional medical societies and institutions taking a position on the Roe decision. They're appalled by this decision. They think that this is a gigantic setback in our healthcare and our society and it was it was the it was society after society that that were issuing this and by the way it wasn't just 
the Roe decision. Last week, there was also the gun decision by the Supreme Court on rulings that said that it is not unconstitutional that citizens have a right to open carry legal weapons, that jurisdictions had no right to breach the Second Amendment and tell people that they could not open carry if they are legal gun owners. And so there were societies that were issuing um, public statements about that and not just not just that, but just hours after the road decision, President Biden signed into law that bipartisan bill that restricted or tightened gun laws, and that was was applauded. It was celebrated by these societies. So it got me thinking. Why are medical societies even weighing in on this? Why are they issuing official statements about political issues, about public policy that doesn't directly impact health care? Now, they will say, well, it does impact health care. And they will make the case why it's important for them to weigh in on these issues and take a stance because these political issues, these public policy issues are very much connected to health care. Let me give you some examples of what got me thinking about this, about the medical societies issuing official statements that are not surprisingly on the left of center or even further to the left that have taken a leftward bend which is what troubled me and and it's something that I've witnessed for a long time but it is it is more prevalent than ever the american college of surgeons their public statement about roe versus wade quote The American College of Surgeons has long opposed governmental interference in the clinical practice of medicine and in the doctor-patient relationship. The SCOTUS decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health will allow states to eliminate access to reproductive services for women and will jeopardize the autonomy of this relationship. We are concerned that this decision will impact the availability of comprehensive and safe reproductive health care services. Well, they go on to say that patients should be given the right to make individual informed health care choices. Now, let's just unpack this for just a second. First of all, this decision did not eliminate the access to reproductive services. Reproductive services means um, counseling for um, pregnancy. It means 
um, helping women who are having trouble conceiving. It doesn't necessarily mean women who want to terminate their pregnancies. So let's let's be clear. When we use these words, these phrases, these are, once again, as I said in my last show, the Marxist takeover of language. And our medical societies have bought onto this. They have embraced this Marxist language in making their claims. And I'm going to go on and explain how these medical society statements are so disingenuous and so untrustworthy when we continue in the next part of our show. So stay with us. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The views, opinions, and content of the show's hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. Stacey Abrams wants to be our next governor, but listen to what she had to say about Georgia. I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state in the country to live. We are the worst state in the country to live. We are the worst state in the country to live. Abrams will destroy Georgia with her socialist policies. Vote for Brian Kemp. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the Doctor's Lounge. Thank you for being with us. Today we are talking about trust. And I hope that you trust what I'm saying to you today because it's um, something that is an issue that is very important to me, being able to trust people who give medical information and I would like to believe that when I provide this information to you that I'm giving you trustworthy information not not political opinion not one-sided self um, interest um, opinions so the American College of Surgeons wanted patients to be given the right to make their own individual informed healthcare choices, but I don't remember them taking that stand when Obamacare was being um, was being debated. They didn't think that it was important in, at that time for individuals to make their own decisions about their healthcare, their family's healthcare. Um, so again where they land on sides of political issues has um, has uh, shifted dramatically to the left. And this is true with all of the medical societies. The American College of Surgeons states that surgeons and physicians of all specialties must be free to practice medicine, informed by medical education, experience, scientific evidence, 
without fear of being criminalized, that physicians must not be placed at risk of persecution or prosecution for providing patient-centered care. I don't remember them taking that position with doctors who questioned the orthodoxy with COVID. Instead, they felt that doctors who were providing alternative information to the, the accepted facts from the government or government agencies were spreading disinformation and misinformation and should be prosecuted and should be um, dis, um, uh, not disbarred, but they should lose their, their um, licenses or lose their medical privileges. Quote, the ACS urges the passage of legislation that ensures full access to safe reproductive health care for all patients. The ACS will always oppose any interference by the government or any other entity in the patient-physician relationship. Bull larky. That has not been what they have done in the past. That's why you can't trust them, because you trust somebody based on what they have done previously, what their actions have been previously, and they have shown no ability to support that statement from their actions in the past. Not surprisingly, the American College of OBGYN issued a condemnation of the Roe ruling, stating that it represents a destructive setback for OBGYNs and patients. Quote, however, our resolve is unwavering, and we will continue to support all people who struggle against laws and regulations that interfere with the patient-physician relationship and block access to essential health care. Um, abortion, I guess, is essential health care. Not to be outdone, the American Academy of Pediatrics, probably one of the worst Organizations that have moved so far to the left that they cannot be trusted as an organization to give meaningful, trustworthy information got in on the act. Their official statement was that it falsely states that this is the first time in history, first time in history, that a constitutional right has been given to a group and then taken away. It was never a constitutional right, but that's the American Academy of Pediatrics official statement. The AAP has taken the position about the grave consequences for our adolescent patients. They felt the need to weigh in because of, again, they represent adolescent patients who are affected by this ruling. And this is an organization that has taken the position that minors should be able to get an abortion without parental consent. This organization believes it protects their health and their safety by allowing that to happen. Never mind the psychological toll an abortion can have on the teen, especially when it's done in secrecy without the support of the parents, without involving the parents? And have they taken a position to protect the near-term 
or post-term baby that is subjected to a late-term abortion? No. This is the American Academy of Pediatrics. And by not taking a position to protect those babies, they're a baby organization, for crying out loud. By not taking a position on that egregious practice, they are condoning it. What does that tell you about this organization, about their veracity, about their ability to be trusted? Why do medical societies feel compelled to weigh in on controversial issues? More importantly, why does it seem like when they do, it's always on the side of wokeism? of leftist interests? Why are no medical societies taking a position that is a more measured approach, that's a more traditional approach? Why is it always moving to the left? What does this say about our medical societies? We know that so many of them are dominated by academicians, most of whom tend to be statists. They're products of the university system, which we know has created this leftist um, monster. Our medical societies are cowardly, and they are afraid to offend. They feel compelled to jump on the woke bandwagon, lest they receive backlash from media, from social media, and their younger constituency who have been weaned on the teats of wokeism. In these turbulent times, there have been numerous controversial health care issues, and our medical societies consistently weigh in on the wrong side of these issues every single time. And you don't have to go too far back to recall some of these issues, like the Obamacare debates, as I mentioned with the Academy of of, uh, American College of Surgeons. Between 2008 and 2010, the American Medical Association was repeatedly called upon to support the Affordable Care Act, despite the fact that it is an obvious infringement on patient choice and a destruction of the patient relationship, the patient-physician relationship. That's how Docs for Patient Care started, in response to the cowardly, unprincipled position that the American Medical Association took on this issue. And nothing has been more polarizing than opinions about COVID and the treatments and vaccinations. Now, there was a time early in the pandemic when we had no idea how this disease was being transmitted and medical societies were supporting the recommendations of the CDC. And okay, I can, I can understand that. But with more experience dealing with COVID and with questions arising about new strains, about this being endemic, not pandemic anymore, and about doctors who early on questioned what we should be doing to treat this disease instead of 
putting people in isolation and treating them with with treatments that weren't addressing the disease but were treating the symptoms. And doctors who challenge this conventional wisdom, um, whether it be quarantines or masks or the treatments or non-treatments or vaccinations, were being treated like criminals for spreading, quote, misinformation or disinformation, being treated by criminals by these medical societies that these doctors were part of. And these are we're talking about respected doctors, pulmonologists, immunologists, people who were writing peer review articles, who were who were leaders in their field, if they came out um, against the orthodoxy, against the the media, against the government, their societies were turning their backs on these doctors and they were claiming that these once acclaimed doctors were quacks, were dangers to the public trust and should not be um, relied upon, should be censured, should lose their medical licenses. They, many organizations like the American College of Physicians who represent the internists um, uh, and their subsequent board, the American Board of Internal Medicine, took steps to punish doctors who were uh, determined to have spread disinformation. Again, disinformation, Marxism, you hear these words, think Marxism, if these organizations are signing on to it, this is a a red flag warning of who they are and what they believe. They were pressuring the um, uh, the boards. They were partnering with the AMA and the accrediting boards, such as the American Boards of Family Medicine, the American Board of Internal Medicine, the American Board of Pediatrics, to remove these doctors from being board certified. These organizations partnered partnered with social media the dis, the dishonest social media to hunt down these doctors and find doctors who were posting any of these um, these disinformation posts and they've gone to state medical boards to get these doctors licenses suspended and to hospitals to get them to withdraw their medical privileges. And all of this is happening despite any of this being settled science as they want you to believe. Clearly it's not settled science when the, when St. Anthony Fauci is infected twice and is on his second dose of Paxlovid, which, by the way, there are studies that are coming out that claim that in people who are, quote, fully vaccinated, Paxlovid may actually be more harmful and may not be effective at fighting COVID than it would be in patients who didn't get vaccinated. These witch hunts of doctors is happening despite controversies surrounding the vaccine regimen. Despite so many problems occurring in patients who have received vaccinations, 
these are not being reported and our medical societies are still supporting it the worst offender of which is the American Academy of Pediatrics um, this is happening despite the fact that vaccines are having no effect on the spread of COVID and despite no understanding about what kind of immunity these vaccines convey or for how long or despite the understanding of the effect of the vaccines on other immune factors. We are going to look back on this whole time as a medical community in 10 years, in 15 years, and and see the mistakes that have been made time and time and time again, and the role that our medical societies have played in perpetrating so much of this this dogma, which are, are really the disinformation and misinformation, the lies. And as I said, the most, disor- this most dishonest organization is the American Academy of Pediatrics. How in good conscience can they take the position to recommend COVID vaccines in six-month-old babies? Are you kidding me? These children... These these children face such a low risk of problems, even when they become infected, and not knowing the long-term effects of this gene therapy. That's what this is. This is mRNA treatment. This is gene therapy. It's not a traditional vaccination where you give um, the body an opportunity to see the the infecting organism and create immune factors, antibodies against that infecting organism so that the host, the the patient, will be immune to it. This is re-engineering the the, um, genetic code to presumably create antibodies that will be effective. And we don't know that that's the case. In fact, there are a lot of studies that have been suppressed that have shown just the opposite. Let me just tell you one more thing about the dishonest American Academy of Pediatrics. And this is the thing that disturbs me the most, more than anything else. It's their position that they have taken on transgender. Transgender is so controversial that so much of what started in Europe as the the um, uh, the um, the Dutch project, where you can transition patients who are um, questioning their gender, has been abandoned in the rest of Europe in the UK, in Scandinavia. The AAP has taken the position that it is safe for adolescents to transition. They have stated that it's safe for, tr- for children to take hormones to block puberty. And doctors who question these radical positions are no longer welcome at AAP meetings. This organization and their leadership does no does not want to be challenged 
because this is the position that they're taking. This left, far left woke position. The AAP encourages, quote, affirmative care. Affirmative care means affirming when an adolescent or child believes that they are the wrong gender. They, the AAP claims that doctors should affirm that position and support that child who believes it in every way possible, including hormone therapy and surgery. And this despite the fact that these practices are being curtailed in Europe and in Sweden, where no child under age 18 can no longer get these treatments. They can no longer get puberty blockers. They can no longer get sex hormones for the treatment of gender dysphoria. They can no longer get surgery for their their gender conversion. So how can we trust any longer organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics that take these positions, that give medical information to patients in this country that people are relying on? We can't. We can't trust them. They've become infiltrated by Marxists who have now, and Marxists have now infected virtually every part of our society and we talked about this on the last show you know government schools um the military everything now they've infected our medical community to the extent that they have overtaken what was once trusted medical societies medical societies that at one time were the source of trusted medical information no longer. Who can you trust then? Your personal doctor? I think that that's probably the only the only source that you can trust. And even then, you can't entirely trust them as I started the show off telling you about some dishonest doctors. You've got to really, I think, go. you have to do your own homework. You have to talk to other patients who see doctors and who have had good experiences and you can rely on your own your own two eyes if you truly trust your doctor and they've done right by you i think you can trust your doctor and in fact that's the only person that i think you really can trust but you've got to always take things with a grain of salt you can't put 100 percent trust necessarily anymore any longer in anything when it comes to medical um, uh, information, medical care. We certainly can't trust the government. My God. Um, Keith, Smith, Keith Smith, the owner of the um, Surgery Center of Oklahoma, who will be a guest on this show um, very soon, as soon as we can um, uh, get our, our schedules together, he wanted to come back on the show wrote an op-ed about can we should we be trusting the government with our health care and he just scratched the surface with this op-ed you know he was saying that um, things that the government have done in the past um, have been so egregious how can we even think about giving them more control over our health care and well-being and he pointed out the fact that during prohibition 
the federal government deliberately poisoned as many as a quarter of a million Americans um, by putting methanol in industrial alcohol because the government knew that people were using industrial alcohol for drinking purposes and their um, their enforcement uh, mechanism for prohibition was so badly failing that they, in desperation, um, sought to punish people by poisoning them. And, um, and, and these people developed kidney failure or went blind or died from the methanol in the alcohol they, they consumed. This was the government that was doing this deliberately to our, our people. Now, what he failed to point out were other things that the government did that were so dishonest and so so egregious against Americans. Look at the Tuskegee study in the 1930s, where black men were um, in who had syphilis were enrolled in this study, not being told that they had syphilis to study the natural history of untreated syphilis. And this was at a time when penicillin was available and it was known that it would cure syphilis, but the government wanted to see what the effect of untreated syphilis would be because of um, racist ideology, thinking that black men were oversexed and wanted to see what the effect of the syphilis would be on them. In the 1950s, the U.S. Army conducted um, experiments on GIs, giving them LSD against their knowledge. And, and they justified it because they said that the Soviets had LSD, and they wanted to see what the effects of this drug would be on um, captured military personnel who might be undergoing interrogation. They didn't tell the GIs this, and these people thought that they were losing their minds um, many, many years later and never received support from the VA hospital um, for the problems that they experienced after receiving LSD from the government without their knowledge. And these examples are... Numerous. I can go on and on and on. This is the federal government who we are giving the power to make more and more decisions over our health care. This is who we are hoping to trust. Can we trust them? Keith Smith says, no, I agree with him. We can't trust the federal government. We can't trust the federal government. We can't trust hospitals who are not being who are not providing adequate care to the people that we are putting in there expecting to receive that care we cannot trust our medical societies who have moved so far to the left that they are just another arm of the marxist attempt to take over our society folks I, I hate to be a a Debbie Downer. I <laughs> I really I really hate doing this show and and saying these kinds of things because I am not a, a negative person. You might not you might not get that from the shows that I do and the information that I'm giving you. I'm actually a very optimistic person. I'm a very upbeat person. I believe that a better day is coming. 
and that that um, we just need to keep you know fighting the good fight because that better day is coming. But when it comes to health care and health care decisions, the only one who should be making these decisions is you. You can use your trusted doctor as the source. And direct primary care doctors are a great source of information. And that's why the Docs for Patient Care Foundation supports the direct primary care movement. It's why we are putting on another direct primary care conference. It's why the president of our organization, Lee Gross, is one of the founders of the direct primary care movement. And we believe that that better day is coming when insurance companies are no longer a major decision maker in the care that patients get when hospitals no longer control the flow of medical services, when we no longer rely on the government to provide health care services, but instead give patients that money that they are allocating toward health care and let patients decide with their own two feet and their own brains who they want to go see to take care of them. When we get to a point where all of these things are happening, where people can make their decisions about where they want to get their surgery, like the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, where they can pay one-tenth of the amount that they pay for a surgery in a hospital. When those things happen, I think that we will, again, reestablish the trust that we expect from the medical community, and we can um, once again um, uh, rely on on uh, the decisions and the, the organizations that we have at one point come to rely on. So um, this this uh, this concludes the the um, the trust episode of the Docs for Patient Care. Uh, I'm sorry, of the Doctors Lounge, and I hope you'll join Doctor Scott next week on another episode of our show. Thanks for being with us. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.